0: I am Jim Bernica, and uh, I've got a topic kind of near and dear to my heart today, so I'll be talking with uh, Gail Whitelaw from The Ohio State. <laughs> so uh, Everybody introduces you like that, don't they?
1: They do, the. indeed.
0: All right, so <laughs> Gail is a Ph.D., uh, an audi- audiologist and director of the Speech-Language-Hearing Clinic. She serves at the Audiology Faculty members of the Leadership Education and Neurodevelopment and Other Disorder House at the Nisonger Center at Ohio State. Her clinical interests are in pediatric and educational audiology, auditory auditory processing disorders in children and adults, and tinnitus assessment and management. She is also interested in professional leadership development, supervision, and mentoring. Dr. Whitelaw teaches a number of courses in the department, including pediatric and educational audiology, pediatric, was it oral? Oral? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: You got it.
0: <laughs> Rehabilitation, and tinnitus. Uh She is the fourth year placement coordinator for the AUD program at Ohio State. Dr. Whitelaw is a past president of both the American Academy of Audiology and the Ohio Academy of Audiology, and the chair of the American Board of Audiology. She is the author of a number of articles and book chapters and co-author of Hearing and Deafness with Peter Paul. So, thank you so much for being here.
1: My it's pleasure.
0: Way, way more impressive than my bio. <laughs>
1: it's now, not all that impressive. You know me, so you know it, you
0: know. Oh, whatever. So, so I'm going to do things a little bit different to my viewers here. or I shouldn't say viewers because they're not looking at me, luckily. They're, they're listening to me, so my listeners... Um, I want to tell kind of my story on how I ended up getting to Gail and then I'll tag her in and we'll go from there. So uh, is that all right with you? Perfect. All right. So we're going to change the format a little bit. So I would say about 10 years ago now, I started having trouble in uh, just hearing and it noticeably got worse and worse and worse. And I figured it was from just really the job. I knew firefighters in general are going to have hearing issues. I figured it was from the air horns and the sirens, and then you throw in a little bit of Metallica, and there you go. It was a no-brainer. So, I would get tested. You either from my department or going to my own audi- audiologist at home, and I'd sit in that little booth with the button, and I would take that test just like all of us already have, and I'd pass every single time, and as it got progressive, like years went by and I noticed again, just getting worse and worse, especially in areas of background noise. So I was a disaster when it came to being in a restaurant, Uh, really social settings, being in the back of a, a, an ambulance uh, driving the apparatus. I I really, truly struggled to pick out words from everything else that was going on around me. I I actually kind of became more of a, a lip reader than anything. So after taking a test of my local audiologist and passing it again when I clearly know I have issues. Um, I kind of bitched at him. I kind of made a scene, I guess you could say. And I, I basically said, whatever you're doing isn't accurately, you know, testing me. You need, a, there needs to be somewhere else you can send me that do does something more in depth. And so they ended up sending me up to Ohio state. Now it took a long time to get there me, uh, cause it, you are, a, um, an educational, uh, college and testing, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So, but I gotta tell you, it was worth the wait. Cause when I finally got there, you know, I finally found somebody that understood me and knew what I was going through. So if you will, and I'll tag you in now and kind of take you back to, I, I remember, I remember the date it was June 7th, uh, 2017 and it's ironically it's not because of the Ohio State going to see you it's actually more I remember that day because it was the last time I got to see Tom Petty but that's a different
1: story ah. <laughs> excellent
0: <laughs> I was uh. yeah I, I stopped by you in uh the morning and then stayed there and that that night I saw Tom Petty so anyway do you want to kind of take it from there and, and kind of
1: sure.
0: go over what you, you saw of me what you did and, and all sure. that stuff
1: So I really appreciate this opportunity, Jim, because, you know, you remind me of what we as audiologists always have to put as the priority, which is if patients are telling you something, they're not telling you that to make it up. Um, One of the first things you're taught as an audiologist is that people come and they fake hearing losses. And there's reasons for doing that, sometimes for attention, sometimes for compensation, But my own experience in 36 years of doing this says that's a pretty rare thing. And so when someone comes in and they've had their hearing tested and they have the history that you have, we're overlooking something. And, um, you know, audiologists like to talk about how we assess people, but we use something called an audiogram, which almost every firefighter is going to be familiar with, because when you have your annual hearing evaluations or your hearing screenings, all the frequencies that are on there are pitches, they're, they're beeps or tones, and they cover the range of speech frequencies. And we as audiologists have kind of fooled ourselves into believing that if you can perceive those tones, if you can hear those tones, and my students always hear me say, my guinea pigs could do this test, okay? Um, it's not a very advanced test. It doesn't tell you very much about the auditory system, but a lot of audiologists assume that if you're normal on that, you're okay. And it doesn't really look at the situation that you describe, which is the kinds of critical listening environments that firefighters are in, that humans are in on a day and daily basis, whether it's sitting in a classroom or going to a restaurant or conversing in the car with your family or being in the back of an ambulance. Um, A lot of that really, really depends on how well you hear speech in background noise. And so in order to look at those things, the kinds of things that you brought to me that were bothersome to you, we have to really tax the auditory system. We have to make it work. And many audiologists don't do this for whatever reason. I don't know, because one of the things that I depend on you all for and, I, you know, Jim, you and I know each other well enough that I know that best practices is a huge thing for firefighters, you know, how do you do this the right way and do it well? And um, you've taught me so much about that, but I need to teach the world about what audiologists do and how we need to follow best practices. And one of the things that happens is if you come to me and you say, gosh, Gail, I can't hear well in noisy environments, I better test you in a noisy environment. I better not put you in my quiet booth and assume that that has anything to do with what your real world listening experience is particularly in a person like you who has a lot of real-world listening experiences that aren't typical, that you really struggle with. And you could pinpoint the dates. I mean, you gave me so much data. So when you came to see us, we did some testing that went beyond what you would normally have with a hearing evaluation. We did what we call auditory processing testing. And um, that allows us to tax your auditory system to put you in a variety of listening conditions, like putting background noise in. What happens if we change the speed of the testing? What happens if we ask you to listen to two ears at the same time, which is the, it's that's, audiologists have a big term for it, dichotic listening, which is a dumb, we need to speak English, we shouldn't speak in non-English terms. Um, but it means how do your two ears work together? Is it, really important. And I see a lot of adults. I see adults who, who you may have served um, as a firefighter who may have had a traumatic brain injury or a concussion or a stroke. And that part of their listening system often breaks down. And I won't know that unless I do some specific tests. So you wanted me to talk about your results. Um, when, I, when I saw you, um, you didn't do well in noisy situations. It was similar to exactly what you describe, um, And you don't do well when we have to have your two ears work together as a team. And there's a lot of reasons that that could happen for. And I know you've got a lot of questions for me. And, you know, I was thinking about us talking today. Um, you know, for firefighters, there's the history. And you said this is everybody assumes that you all have noise exposure, which many of you do. Um, however, it doesn't always show up on the hearing test, but you have exposure to a lot of other things that can damage the auditory system, like, um, you know, solvents. Um, you know, you're the one who taught me all these things about, now I think about kitchen fires all the time because all that stuff that's under your, your countertop, um, you know, that, that's, that gives off a lot of dangerous things to the auditory system. So it may not affect your brain in a, um, I guess, in a gross way, like you might have a head injury falling from something, but it may affect your brain in a very subtle way. And you need to rely on an audiologist, someone like me, to help you parse out, you know, have you had those kinds of exposures? Did it impact your auditory system? And then the most important question to that is what can we do to change or improve the quality of your life?
0: Perfect. Perfect. Now, one of the things I remember you talking about is my follicles in my ears mm-hmm. were also dormant, unresponsive. And
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you, you
0: kind of touched on that, too, because that was that was a test I didn't know. I had no idea it existed. Nobody had ever done that before.
1: Yeah, that test is called Otoacoustic Emissions or OAEs. And to kind of break it down into the easiest system. um, That's the test that we use for newborn hearing screening almost everywhere in the United States. And I know you said this might be international, Canadians use it, Australians use it. Um, It's a very simple test where you don't have to respond. Obviously newborn babies aren't really good at raising their hand when they hear a beep. So we put a little probe in the ear and we put a tone in and it measures a response that comes back from um, from your outer hair cells, which are really critical for listening And you didn't have those. Um, You didn't have otoacoustic emissions, which is really unusual for someone that has a normal audiogram where you do hear those beeps and you're able to raise your hand or push a button or pass the screening that you're given as firefighters. That OAE usually reflects hearing loss, peripheral hearing loss or peripheral hearing. And you don't have that. And we're starting to get a little bit more savvy about understanding the things that might damage or obliterate those um, responses. And why you don't have them, I can't crawl in there and figure that out. But it's certainly something that's unique and certainly something that's consistent with what you reported. So even if an audiologist does something as simple as otoacoustic emissions, OAEs, as part of your assessment, you might learn some really valuable information about that.
0: Nice, perfect. Now I, I do remember when you came back and you talked to me. You, you said I actually reminded you of another type of patient that you've had, mm-hmm. and and you really thought that my particular hearing loss, which is kind of unique, or at least not very well known, I should mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. You mentioned how I was kind of uh, on par with somebody that's that's dealt with carbon monoxide poisoning, basically yes. house house fire victims.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I had a family um, about 20 years ago that we um, that we saw the entire family, and none of them reported issues before the carbon monoxide exposure. And afterwards, there were, if I recall, three sons and and a mom afterwards, they were really um, not in good shape. And I've had actually because of we had published a paper on that family. I've seen a lot of people probably more than most audiologists have certainly not like what you guys all see but certainly more than most audiologists of people who've had exposure to carbon monoxide. And we know it's very, very detrimental to the auditory system, but it's not like noise exposure where it results in an obvious hearing loss. It's a much more subtle kind of thing. And you mentioned the kind of hearing loss you have. Um, We would call it an auditory processing disorder, APD, or sometimes people will call it a central auditory processing disorder, CAPD. And the reason they call it central is it separates it from the part of the ear that's hanging on the outside of your head and is right there on the inside. It's farther up in the auditory system. You know, the auditory system runs from the part that you can see that you can hang your sunglasses on all the way up to the brain. And the part that um, looks like for whatever reason has become disordered with you is above the inner ear and certainly at the level of the brain.
0: All right. I also remember you talking about how your ear needed two things, and that was oxygen and dextrose.
1: Right, right, yeah. The, the external ear is an oxygen hog, as is the brain part of the ear. And if someone has a situation where um, oxygen flow, consistent oxygen flow is, um, is disrupted, say somebody who's had a stroke, um, oftentimes their hearing looks the same on that hearing test, but something has changed. Um, it's very common for people who've had opportunities for, you know, somebody who's even had like a cardiac surgery where they've had some um, reduction in oxygenation of the auditory system. They'll report that they really struggle now with hearing and noise. They didn't have that before. And you said dextrose, um, I would probably say glucose, but obviously the same.
0: thing. Yeah, that's a paramedic thing. sorry
1: yeah that's all right
0: i knew it was the sugar
1: yeah it's just sugar and uh, and you know the ear is an uh, oxygen hog and it's a sugar hog and so it's got to have a nice steady flow of both and anything that can disrupt that um can really disrupt the entire auditory system um one of the things obviously with the you know with um the I guess, epidemic of diabetes that's happening now. That's a really hot topic in audiology is, you know, how much is too much or um, is inconsistency and in glucose and, in you know, sugar? Is, that, is Does that affect the auditory system? We know that a lot of people who are diabetic have significant, significant hearing losses and they're often progressive. And so that's a really hot topic right now. And one of the reasons I wanted to say that is, You know, I I want, I'm so excited at the opportunity to be able to do outreach with um, people who might benefit from audiology services. And audiology isn't like, you know, my grandpa's audiology anymore, we're learning a lot of things all the time that we can apply to patient care. There's new stuff coming out all the time. And so if somebody has gone to see an audiologist, and it wasn't a very fulfilling experience, or they didn't talk about some of these things, seeking out an audiologist who does auditory processing, who's up on current kinds of issues is a really worthwhile thing to do.
0: Yes. And I kind of think I've always explained it, like it took me 10 years to get Diagnosed properly, Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: and my fear has always been, and why one of the reasons why I preach about all this stuff is, you know, I had multiple audiologists or or doctors that did these, you know, the typical the study. uh, What what was it? The press the button. Mm -hmm. Um, They all told me I was fine, and if I would have accepted that and said, all right, well, they say I'm fine, I'm okay, then that that would have been that, but I was a a persistent asshole that Mm -hmm. um, just kind of knew something was wrong and just stayed on until I I finally found the answers I was looking for. Persistent
1: assholes are my favorite kind of (laughs) patients. I love, you know, because I'm a persistent asshole, too. Um, I'm somebody who doesn't like to leave a stone unturned. So if someone comes to me and says, you know, I have this problem, we're going to keep testing until we can verify or we can help them say, hey, you know, I I see a lot of kids with the same kind of auditory processing. And one of the great questions is, is it attention or is it auditory? We have some great tests to separate that. And so I like moms who come in or dads who come in with their kids. And we just saw a dad who's, Left, last Tuesday, I saw a, a little boy and his dad came and he said, I'm not giving up until we figure some of this out because, you know, I've been told no, no, no. And he said, but I see my kid and I live with this kid. And he's a he's a yes, yes, yes kind of kid. And I thought that's a great description.
0: Yes. So I remember also, um, you know, when you're explaining this to me, you know, CO poisoning, all these other um, autotoxic chemicals. Mm-hmm and having a background I have where I talk about all these chemicals and carcinogens Mm -hmm. and I know, obviously I know that they cause cancer, but I really had no idea that they could also lead to this as well. Yeah. So now when I, when I preach about all this stuff, it's not just about trying to reduce your exposure and and prevent cancer, but it's also for hearing and and there's other issues as well. Mm -hmm. So I was fortunate enough to kind of know a little bit about this and what you were talking about. And And I also was able to very easily go back in my head and go, all right, well, I wasn't wearing a mask for a considerable amount of years before we Mm -hmm. really even knew that this was a thing. It wasn't, you can call it being naive. Uh, We just didn't talk about it. We didn't know about it. There wasn't a lot of studies out there. So being a, a young kid on a job and, you know, you're the first one in and you're the last one to leave. and so clearly I knew that I had been exposed to a lot of different chemicals over the years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, mainly being CF for sure. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: So it was very obvious, like, oh, okay, well, this this all kind of, you were able to put the, I guess, the puzzle together. Here's, Here's the final piece. This makes sense now.
1: And, you know, as you say that, one of the things that I think is really important is educating people because, um, you know, I work in a, with a lot of patients who are, as you describe them, young kids, you know, um, people don't ever want to believe that noise exposure is going to be bothersome. So they don't want to wear hearing protection. Um, I'm sure that wearing a mask all the time could be a pain in the neck. And um, when you understand the trade-off that you're making, um, and that, you know, people who are a little bit older and maybe wiser than you say, Hey, I wish I had done this because I could have protected my auditory system from this, or I could have protected my ears from noise exposure. It really does give, um, you know, a great guideline or great guidance.
0: Perfect. Now, one of the other bonus things that I remember about, uh, and you were witness for it. That's why I want to bring it up mm-hmm. is, uh, my wife joined me for those initial exams. Yes. Um, Yes, and I actually got an apology out of her, (laughs) which never, never happened. So, I mean, she thought that I really had selective hearing and that Mm -hmm. I was just ignoring her and and I, I really wasn't.
1: Yeah. And you know, you're kind of in the opposite situation um, where you were the one that was driving this. A lot of times the spouse is the driver to say something isn't right with you. There's something that, you know, you're, I don't, you know, you're not listening well anymore. Um, And that's what the driver is. But I think that oftentimes when spouses and families understand, um, I've seen that happen so often, Jim, where, A family comes in, you know, we're explaining the results and we're like, yeah, you know, when they hear those beeps, they can hear those just fine. But speech isn't beeps. And when you're calling someone from another room or you go out to a restaurant, um, it's a very different situation. And, you know, let's face it, um, you and your wife appear to be in a really wonderful, loving relationship why do people that love you want to ignore you? You know, that's always the thing that I find so interesting that, you know, spouses are sometimes like, Oh, well, you're just ignoring me. Well, that's a lot of times a real stereotype. That would also be something to me. That's a red flag. If if someone in your life is saying, wow, you really don't seem to be hearing well. Um, you really need to kind of focus on maybe I should get a different kind of hearing test. Um, I may have shared with you that one of my most famous patients um, was in the Boston Marathon bombing. And um, she had been to see seven different audiologists in the area where she lived. And they all said, oh, you're normal. Everything is fine. And she met a friend of mine and he said, you need to fly to Columbus and go see Gail and we'll see what happens. And she said that what precipitated it for her was her business partner, after the bombing, said to her, something is different about you. You can't hear and she said, well, I've had hearing tests. I hear just fine. And she said, no, no, no. You hear, t- like when, I, when my voice is on, you hear my voice on, but you don't listen to our clients anymore. And it's really becoming an issue. And so she pursued and came here. And we did a lot of the same things with her that we did with you. And it was life-changing for her and so, you know, she had a traumatic brain injury and also uh, a blast exposure, so a lot of damage to the hearing, but it was some, because somebody significant in her life said it nicely, and, you know, I think my husband needs a hearing test, and I'm not going to be the one who tests him, but um, I will tell you that I can't always be nice about it, because it is frustrating, because communication is so critical, so if someone in your life can say to you nicely, hey, I think me or this didn't happen before now it's happening it's worth having a hearing test
0: Mm -hmm. now do you want to touch on real quick the you know what you're able to kind of do for me to help me sure Uh, yeah
1: we gave you some options and um two of the options that are really great for listening one is called a digitally modulated system it's a microphone that the speaker can wear And the listener wears things that look like small hearing aids on their ears. Um, They only pick up what the mic delivers to them. So if you're in a classroom environment, you know, um, somebody's doing a training with firefighters or um, you're at a restaurant and you need that, that's fantastic. However, we chose a little bit different direction with you.
0: Uh, Well, the reason, I mean, I could just see myself. I'm sorry to interject, but. No, no. I know how we are as firefighters. If I had a little mic thing that I was, that I was, you know, I, I had around the kitchen table or something, mm-hmm. and I and I looked away for two seconds, the next thing I know, it'd be in the bathroom, <laughs> or it'd be somewhere else. Somebody would be singing into it or being ridiculous.
1: I love it. I love it. Well, and the downside of that kind of a device, other than um, firefighters who might be um, messing with you um, is the fact that it's very limited to when you're we're using it with a speaker. Um, we chose a different option for you, which were hearing aids. Um, and you might be saying, or people who are listening might be saying, "Wait, you said he had normal hearing. Jim has normal detection, but he doesn't have normal hearing. And current day hearing aids." are so fantastic. I can't even begin to tell you Um, all that you've heard. I, you know, I jokingly said before that audiology is not my grandpa's audiology. These are not your grandpa's hearing aids. Um, They are small. They are discreet. They deliver great, what we call signal to noise ratio enhancement, which means you can hear in noisy environments, despite what you hear on TV, despite what your grandpa may have told you, your grandma may have told you. Um, these are pretty sophisticated devices, and they won't, putting this on your ears will not damage your good hearing, but it will enhance what you have. Um, I think you saw that, Jim, pretty quickly. Um, I see that with patients all the time. We fit a patient yesterday morning who um, she has ringing in her ears, or what you said before, tinnitus or tinnitus, and she also can't hear well in noisy environments. And she left in tears because she was so excited and hadn't even tried it out in the real world yet. Um, and so that's an option for people, and we're seeing more and more audiologists being willing to try that. Obviously, there's a cost attached to it, but um, the trade-off is amazing. And you brought me, you know, your mask and your fire equipment so we could see to make sure that it fit and it they wouldn't pop off when you know you took huh. your mask off and all yeah. of that. And I know you worked with that a bit. So that's also something that if somebody's going to go that direction, we have to work with it.
0: I have gotten to the point where it's like, I, I don't wear it going into a fire because uh-huh. I've taken on and off your hood and everything else. I've, I've dropped one before and it's just entirely too expensive to, to go missing. So sure. if it's an actual legit fire, I'll take them out and I'll leave them on the apparatus.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I. And that's something that, you know, we have to work with. Um, That's something that I think is really important in terms of how you might use a device like that and when you might use it. And, um, you know, the the beauty of trying a hearing aid, if somebody wants to try one, um, there are lots of places that give you demonstration hearing aids like we did with you. And you can take it out and see how it works in your real world. Okay, I'm in a fire. Is this going to be something I want to use? Um, I talked to an audiologist recently who, does, who sees a lot of firefighters for um, hearing screenings. And she was talking to one of them and they said, well... I'm not worried about my hearing aids melting because if we get to the point of melting, I got much bigger problems than that. And I thought that was a great way to put it for a lay person like me.
0: But it also
1: is one of those, you know, what are the considerations that I should have when I'm working with you? Um, What do firefighters really need to have? Do you need to have it in that environment? Um, Certainly, I would imagine if you're in an ambulance or you're working with somebody, uh, you know, with EMS, um, you may need that, especially for somebody who may be elderly or a quiet speaker um, or a lot of commotion going on. So that may be a different environment. but I want you to be able to try that out so you see how it impacts your real world.
0: Mm-hmm. And one of the things I liked about these these hearing aids that I ended up with is I actually have like different settings that I can I can use.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You want to
0: t- touch on that too?
1: Sure. Um, Most current-day, modern-day hearing aids have at least four programs that you can use. So if you're in a situation that's really noisy and you want to change the noise reduction, we can do that. If you're in a situation that's really quiet, you don't feel like you need very much amplification, we can give you a program for that. I would be remiss in not talking about something that's changed a little bit since you were fit which is um, there's more and more Bluetooth um, compatibility and phone compatibility. So hearing aids can also be programmed through your phone um, so you can direct phone calls there. I don't know about everybody who's listening, but um, I have trouble sometimes hearing my cell phone in a noisy situation. And when it's streaming directly to your ears and to two ears versus one, it's a fantastic thing. Um, Also can stream music and Bluetooth. And so it's really, it gives you a lot of freedom that, um, people don't always think about, but yeah, having multiple programs so you can change it up, you have a lot of control over those hearing aids.
0: And it it is, it is ultra helpful too. Mm. you know, being in a situation like you and me talking right now, but if we moved to, and we went, had lunch together, Mm -hmm. I I would just switch the settings and I mean, I can tell instantly that, all right, this has changed. This is more of what I need for this situation.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And I do like, I I do enjoy also like going through the grocery store and listening to a podcast or or whatever else. Uh, Not my own podcast, because that's just weird, but other people's uh, podcast.
1: Sure, sure. And, you know, the fact that it gives you so much um, control over what you want to listen to without struggling. You know, those are the things that I think people need to hear and know about hearing aids. Um, that it's not like old fashioned and horrible and they're not even ugly anymore. You know, um, I fit a little boy this summer who didn't, he has auditory processing disorder and, um, wasn't really gung ho about getting hearing aids. He's a fifth grader. And he went from that to two weeks later, seeing how much they helped him bringing his ears in and saying to me, notice anything different about me? And he decided to go with blue hearing aids. And while he was leaving our waiting room, one of my other patients was coming in who was finishing a demo. And he decided to go with blue hearing aids motivated by my little guy. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, you know, it's it's kind of nice that people are becoming more accepting of that. Um, you know, that it, the more The more people are wearing hearing aids, the more people get asked questions. I had a patient in yesterday and he said, everybody asked me about my hearing aids. And by the time I tell them how great they are, they want to come and get them too. Versus the, ooh, why do you wear those? So, yeah, I think that's a great point. The control and the freedom that it gives you, fantastic.
0: Well, and, and, you know, part of it too is I I feel like it's um, knowing what I was like to knowing how I am now with this assistance with these hearing aids you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a believer, so I preach every yeah. change I get. And having you on here is another example of me just getting it out there. If you, uh, you know, not everybody listens to this is going to be, uh, is, is it going to be reasonable to actually get to Columbus to see you?
1: Absolutely.
0: So, so if, if you, if they wanted to, if they were having similar issues and they wanted to get checked out mm-hmm. and they wanted to go to some local audiologist and they, and they wanted to tell them like, hey, I, I need to be, treated a little bit differently, mm-hmm. um, I have exposures that may cause some of these issues, what kind of tests should they be asking those audiologists to perform or find somebody that, that can't perform it? I mean, I remember, I don't think it's very, uh, at least in Ohio a couple of years ago, I had the option of going to see you, or I had the option of going uh, a little bit down south to, to the University of Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and that was it. That was... Yep that was it so i imagine there's a lot of other states and provinces that are pretty similar like they just don't have a whole lot of options so so getting getting these actual tests done are could be a little bit of a challenge
1: so the tests that people need to ask for are speech and noise testing and auditory processing testing And I don't know why audiologists don't love this because this is the stuff that I live for. I think it's fascinating to hear someone like you when you first came in and where you've come in a couple of years. Um, You know, I think that that's really um, very remarkable. And for my career, it's very rewarding. So I think it's important to find an audiologist who understands auditory processing disorders we're out there trying to spread the religion all the time. Um, you know, I, that's the stuff I teach to our students. Um, I'm going to be at a conference in Orlando next week where I'm on a panel where we're talking about updates and auditory processing. Um, you know, I think it's really important that that's what, what the person who's calling asks for. Um, if they have any trouble, they can go to um, the American Academy of Audiology at audiology.org and look at, find an audiologist, and they will say if they do auditory processing or not on there. Um, Or I'm happy to have people email me and say, hey, I really need to find an audiologist in my area. I know, because I've been president of that darn American Academy of Audiology, I know a lot of audiologists. And so if I don't know one directly, I can probably help somebody find one who will be sensitive to the fact that, um, you know, We want to get this kind of information that we got on you, that they've already had a hearing test and it didn't really tell them very much. And I think you'll find that a lot of audiologists are very sensitive to what you all do. You know, we appreciate first responders and the importance of what people do. And so, you get a little bit different um, street cred with most audiologists in terms of the kinds of things that you'll report. It's just finding somebody who, you know, oftentimes audiologists in ENT offices aren't your right person because they don't have any time. Whereas, you know, you come here and visit with me, you can take as much time as you want. I don't care Um, (laughs) because I want to know how you're doing and I want to find out about what's happening with you. And those are really important things. So it's also finding an audiologist who has the time and isn't looking at the clock and saying, oh, your insurance isn't going to cover this, because that's also an honest issue, but it's one that shouldn't stop people from getting the testing that they need.
0: Yes, absolutely. Where uh, where should my faithful listeners actually try to contact you if they're having issues?
1: Um, they can contact me at my email at whitelaw. That's W H I T E L A W dot one, and that's the number one. At OSU, as in Ohio State University, dot EDU, as in education. So that's whitelaw.one at Edu, And I do really respond to my emails. You do know that. I'm not good with phone calls at all, but I'm really good with emails.
0: That's true. That's true. Yes. it's kind of funny when you t- said that email. I'm, I'm thinking they should have a at T-O-S-U. Yes. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the I think, Ohio State I, University. I think if they had won the lawsuit that said that they could um, could make that happen, they would have changed it to TOSU. Um, yes. But I think we're stuck with OSU now, and I'm glad because that's been my email address forever. So
0: nice. Now, um, would it be fair to say that you probably think just altogether the hearing test for firefighters should be changed? should be updated, I guess, for, for our specific needs.
1: You know, and I'm, I'm talking
0: about kind of our, our, our starting physicals or, you know, our new hire and then just our annual physicals.
1: That's a great question. And, you know, there's always a balance between how do you do a screening or a baseline and track Versus do you need a full hearing test? And, you know, I'm biased because I know how much I can get from a full hearing test. And that also includes listening to you. And it might include me doing some kind of a paper screening. You know, do you notice any differences? Um, Those things cost fire companies money and they take your personal time. And um, so that's one aspect of it. And that's my reality aspect. My aspect of what I know is that they're even changing school hearing screenings now to include include higher frequencies because of the fact that so many young people coming out of high school, you know, the the incidence of hearing loss has grown because of exposure to sound, because of exposure to noise. So I think that we need to monitor more carefully. Um, I think that we may want to do at least every few years a more comprehensive evaluation. Um, I'm not the one paying for that. And so I realized that it sounds self-serving coming from an audiologist, but if it can prevent issues that you guys have or improve the quality of your life, I think it's really worth doing. So yes, I would make the argument. We also know, and you and I talked about this a little bit before we started recording, that um, looking at higher frequency hearing is something that um, we're now looking at more often. There's something called hidden hearing loss. And there's a bunch of descriptions of this and a bunch of definitions. But what we think it comes from is exposure to noise that happens in the auditory system but isn't really obvious from just doing a screening or from doing the kind of pure tone testing that you might have in your annual physicals. So maybe we need to add some kind of a speech and noise test with that. So it tells us a little bit more, or at least a speech and noise test for somebody who says, hey, you know what, I, I think I hear those tones okay, but boy, I've really been struggling to hear some of that background noise. Or I notice that when I'm you know, on an EMS run, I'm having more trouble hearing because that hidden hearing loss is just like what it says. It's hidden from the current tests that we have, Um, you know, including something like OAEs or including something like a speech and noise test could go a long way to helping people who had your history get identified earlier.
0: Nice. So basically you're putting NFPA 1582 on notice, right? The medical physicals for the NFPA.
1: Yes, I, you know, since you and I have talked about this numerous (laughs) times, I I think that there's some great ways to do this. um, And it would be really fantastic. Um, And, you know, firefighters aren't the only profession that we would have concerns about with that. Um, But, you know, hearing isn't very sexy for most people until you lose it. Um, You know, communication is the greatest thing. And I always tell people I don't sell hearing aids or sell hearing tests or whatever. I facilitate people's communication, which is a fantastic role to have. And, you know, that's a quality of life issue, but it's also a safety issue. And it's also an issue related to how you relate to your peers at work. And so there's a, you know, it's much bigger than just, oh, yeah, you can't hear those sounds. Um, And so I think until we get you know, workplaces focused on that. It's it's a hard sell, and I do recognize that.
0: Nice. All right, well, how about I start to get you out of here? I want to do uh, one last thing with you. Sure. Let's put you on the spot some more and go over these uh, 25 random questions. Sure. So uh, the deal is I got 25 out there. Pick a number. I'll, I'll let you choose your own fate, and we'll go from there.
1: 17.
0: All right. What is your favorite type of sandwich?
1: Oh, wow. That's a hard question. Um, So there's a restaurant that's very famous in Columbus called Cat Singers. And um, it's a a Jewish deli. And my favorite sandwich ever is their sandwich called Bee's Bustling Bird Witch. And that sandwich is like, like a Reuben, except it has turkey on it instead. And it's fantastic. So that's it.
0: All right. How long have you been going there to get that?
1: Oh, years and years. Um, it's a cool place. If, you're, if anybody's ever in Columbus, it's in a German village. And it's very, very famous. And um, they've been around for decades. Um, they have a lot of claim to fame. Usually when presidents of the United States visit Columbus, which isn't all that often they go to Kat singers and they get a sandwich named after them. Um, and so the most famous pictures they have of her are Bill Clinton getting his sandwich made and, um, and, you know, having a the sandwich there. Um, so it's, it's a fantastic place, but they have something like 170 different sandwiches that you can get there. So
0: See, I'm not sure if I've ever even actually been there. I know when oh. you, do we talk about German village, I'm like, well, I've been to Thurman's and I've been to Smith's.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: but I don't think I've ever been there.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, you know, Thurman's is hugely famous because of the size of the food. And if somebody can polish off a Thurman burger, they get to, you know, they, they win a prize. And Schmitz is just famous because of its German background of being in German village. But Katzinger's is uh, a little bit closer to downtown and um, really fantastic place. Next time you come, we should go there. So
0: I, lo- I like that.
1: Yeah. yeah, that would be good.
0: All right. Uh you want to pick another number out?
1: Sure, let's pick two.
0: <laughs> Best concert you've ever been to?
1: Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to say an old person's thing, um, which is terrible. Um, I went to see <laughs> James Taylor and Bonnie Raitt last year, That's not. It was fantastic. That's
0: not, that's not bad at all. I've seen <laughs> James Taylor twice.
1: Yeah, he was, that was a fantastic um, concert. It was really, Bonnie Raitt's voice sounds just like it did. You know, I have been to Headbanger concerts and I've been to, you know, I'm, I've seen um, a lot of concerts in my time, but that was my very favorite by far.
0: And you're probably always wearing hearing protection too at those.
1: I am. And I carry hearing protection with me. So a couple of years ago um, we heard some great guitarist Frampton and, Couple of other folks um, at the Ohio um, State Fair, and in our section we had all these people, and I had a bag of um, of hearing protection and handed it out to my section and the guy sitting and the guy sitting next to me was just amazed because, you know, he's like, I'm not wearing hearing protection I'll listen to Frampton and it'll destroy all the good music. And I said, well, you could destroy your hearing. And my husband was like, that was kind of rude. Um, and so he put him in and he's like, wow, these are great. I love the way these sound. And in turn for um, the hearing protection, he offered me a joint out of his bag because he had a different kind of bag with him. I didn't take it. Um, but I did think that was an interesting trade-off because as often as I've given people um, hearing protection, I've never been offered pot in response before. Ear, so it was ear earplugs for
0: weed, I like yeah, it.
1: Yeah, it was it was definitely a, a, an interesting um, event. Nice. So.
0: Well, and and the you know the earplugs that you've been so kind to give me are not the the ones that you you know like hunters use those those mm-hmm. green orange mm-hmm. stuck them in stick them in your ears. I mean, they are actually made to. Um, well, you can probably talk about it better than I can.
1: Yeah, there- you know, those ones that you roll up that you can buy, like, at any, like, Home Depot or whatever, those have a really flat frequency response. And what that means is they they damp all the sound equally. But when you're listening to music, you don't want that. Um, you want to damp certain frequencies, and you want certain frequencies to come through. And so musician earplugs are... Can either be custom made or you can buy them over the counter. They're a little bit more expensive. A lot of music stores sell them. Um, and the earplugs that I like um, are—they look like a Christmas tree, but they're really designed to let through sound. So listening to Frampton um, was fantastic because you know you get to hear all the beauty of the guitar without listening to all the um, you know all all the softing of everything. And that's not so good. And if people want custom made earplugs, you can purchase them from audiologists for like 150 bucks. And it's a great investment. Um, You know, a lot of people, if you go to a lot of concerts or whatever, it does a great job of protecting your hearing. You can change the filters in them if you want to. So you can make it more attenuating, bringing down more sound, less attenuating. So it's all good.
0: Well, I didn't know you did that. That's yeah. uh... I've always, I've always had the, uh, I don't know, throwaway ones, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. Um,
1: and those work great for some people. And some people prefer something that's, um, you know, that's custom made for their ears. Especially I, if you have an ear that's difficult to fit, um, you know, a really small ear canal yeah. or it goes up or whatever. Um, it's pretty great.
0: I don't know about that stuff. I just know that I, I frequent enough concerts that it probably would be beneficial for me.
1: Yeah. I could,
0: I could justify that cost.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure.
0: All right. Well, maybe we'll do that, and then we'll have to go out and get a sandwich.
1: Hey, sounds great. I'm there you go. Up, up, up for both.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, again, Gail, thank you for your time. Um, I really, I truly appreciate it, and I know we're not done working on stuff together. So, um, with that being said, thanks again to my audience. Uh, if, if you will subscribe, whether it's Google Play or on uh, iTunes, also don't forget to uh, write. Uh, hopefully, a nice. Uh, rating, Uh, you can do that on either of those as well, but with that I'll talk to you guys, or I won't talk to you, you can listen to me next week, so Gail, thanks again and uh, everybody have a good one okay, bye